Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Ian Morris is today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast. Ian was at Microsoft for seven years before spending over a decade at Market Leader as the president and CEO. Ian took the real estate software company public in 2004 and later sold it to Trulia in 2013. Now he's the co-founder and CEO of Likewise, an innovative startup that began as an idea in Bill Gates' private office and is backed by Bill Gates. They're reimagining the way that people find great recommendations through their Likewise app and website. Ian also sits on several boards. He's a loving husband and father. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. Um, I'm excited to talk about Likewise because I now like depend on it when I don't know what to do with myself and I've got that one little window of time and I want to find a good show or something. So thank you for starting it and running it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for plugging it and for having me. Of course. So we're going to start with Rapid Fire. Given that you're Mr. Tennis, do you hate to lose or love to win? I would say in life I love to win. In tennis... It might be a little bit more of the hate, hate to, to lose. You're not like a racket thrower there or anything um, weird. I oh. might, I'm not a racket thrower. I might occasionally let it slip out of my hand a few feet, but then I feel really bad. And embarrassed. I do not, it, totally embarrassed because in I played in high school and I was not nuts in high. I mean, as teenage boys go, I was not too crazy, but um, some of those kids were just such, and I was on the East, I was in New Jersey, so you know, take anything yeah. in the Seattle area up three notches. Yes. And I couldn't believe the behavior. So anytime I start to get hot under the collar on the court, I think you're becoming that person. Yeah. And it's worse because you don't have the excuse of being a 16-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not like some tournament that's crazy no. or something. Um, okay. What is the most recommended book on Likewise? You might not know this off the top of your head. Um, I should have looked that up off the top of my head. I can tell you some I see go by a lot. Um, educated is one. We have a lot. Of that. That's one. That's, particularly by, that's trending, on my bedside. Particularly trending with, with women. Um, that's one. You see a lot. Of, I mean, you see a real mix. You see a lot of business books as well. Mm -hmm. um, I love, you know, um, Gladwell and Michael Lewis. And you see business books as well. We have some just incredibly avid readers. There's somebody uh, on Likewise who is there just an evangelist for reading their goal is to read 10,000 books and they just keep every couple days I get I see Sheldon's you know recommending another book and is he, it Sheldon's the name so for people Sheldon, on likewise we have to look for Sheldon, Sheldon what's Repo his last Reposa. name Reposa okay and, we'll look uh, him up he, um, which three words would you use to describe your leadership style um, passionate authentic and probably tenacious nice Introvert or extrovert? Um, people think I'm an extrovert. I am not an extreme introvert, but I'm definitely on the introvert side of the line. And it it takes a lot out of me to go to things like industry conferences when I was CEO, a market leader, and I would speak at them. And then I'd, it would be a 15-hour day of cocktail parties. And, and I would, by the time I got to the cocktail party stage, my brain was just 
trying to get upstairs to watch a Seinfeld or Family Guy yeah. rerun or something. You wanted I, to shut down. It was down. just absolutely shut down. Yeah. Um, are you stronger in the forehand or backhand? That's a hard one because I think my forehand may be a little stronger, but I, I'm definitely someone. I think most people's forehand is stronger. Always, I'm much yeah. more balanced. I, my backhand is the better. It may not be better than my form, but it's the better shot because it's there's a lot of guys with big forehands. Mm-hmm. Mine's not that big. My backhand is is. Strong. Are you two handed or one handed? Two handed. Oh, yeah, so me too. Yeah. Old school. So is that probably what threw off your back when I saw you a couple of years ago? You know, um, your back was all jacked up. My... So my back, uh, I have a history going back to when I was. I was embarrassing to admit, like 14 years old. I think was the first time I threw out my back, and it just would come and go. Very acute. I'd throw it out. I had the same thing. I had had the exact same thing. It's overuse. So I did something a year and a half ago that people have been telling me to do for 20 years. Um, I want to knock wood, but it's been good ever since. I mean, for 20 years, people have been telling me, whether it's a doctor, a trainer, a PT, a chiro, Ian, your wiring is not normal. You don't feel anything in the right places. If you don't start doing yoga, you are just, you're going to break down. And I refused to do it because it sounded horrible to me. And then I threw my back out probably when I saw you three times in the space of about nine months. I was playing tennis seven days a week. And I don't know if tennis was related to the cause or whatever, but I was like, this is ridiculous. So yoga? I do yoga twice a week, individual instructor. When I reached out to try to find an instructor. You have to go to True Fusion. My brother started a um, gym in Bellevue in your building. Hello, in you my, need to go. Uh, oh, that's true. Oh, fusion. Yeah, that's funny. They, they literally have like yeah, yeah, yoga I know specialists. What you're Just go check it out. I'll give you like a pass or something. Um, <laughs> okay. Which entrepreneur do you most admire? Um, or would I you mean, want most want to like have lunch with and just learn from? I mean, don't say Elon. Elon I know. Please like, don't. I, I knew you were going to say, like, I mean, he is fascinating, right? Because he, it's not just about being an entrepreneur. He actually attacks problems that most of us would just look at and say, like, well, this is impossible. I, this is impossible. I don't, well, and not just that, but like, just hearing what I've heard, it's just he'll learn more about rocket science than his rocket scientists. And of course, I don't have that capability. I'm not that smart. Um, so that he's a fascinating one. Um, just you the know, way he goes deep, so deep on things. Yeah. I mean, I tend to be most interested in people who have skills that I could never in a million years replicate. And yeah. I, I, I'm not a specialist like that, and I, I wouldn't have the intellectual capacity to go deep on something like that, no matter yeah. how much I wanted to. Yeah. So I should he, probably just stop asking that question, because it's pretty much like I can just be like, cut, paste, Elon Musk. <laughs> That's too bad. Shit. Maybe I should have him on the <laughs> podcast somehow. Anybody know Elon Musk? Give me a call. Um, okay. So you're from... New Jersey? New Jersey. Where in Jersey? Fairlawn, New Jersey. A Jersey North boy. Jersey. I am a Jersey boy. Basically, typical suburb of, of New York City. So that side of Jersey, not the yeah. Pennsylvania side. And where's your <clears> wife, Lisa, from? She's from Brooklyn. She's from Brooklyn. And she, for years, when we moved out here, you know, people say, where are you from? And I'd say, we're from New York. You know, because you're general. Like, he's you're, from Jersey. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a distinction once you've lived in yes. New York. But Brooklyn would where. be my favorite place to say I was from. Yeah, I'd she, love to be like, I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah, she, she, it's like I'm a tough person. She leads with it. And she doesn't really do it to me as much anymore. But for years, it was kind of like, I'm from Brooklyn. He's from New Jersey. And, yeah. it's just, and for someone who is very much, that is not her style, but. Yeah, she, she would doesn't not, strike me as a is, that Brooklyn is, girl. No, no, the Brooklyn girl is there, but she's not. She's not the type who wants to correct me. But the one thing she would never let me get away with, yeah, was claiming New York, even that's though funny. I was from Brooklyn for five or six years. But that doesn't count. Yeah, the, the <laughs> New Yorkers take that stuff super seriously. So you grew up in Jersey. Did you go to private school, public no, school? Public. And your parents? Tell me about your parents. Oh, my parents are great. They're 
still doing, alive. Doing great. They're still alive. They're doing great. My uh, my father, uh, my mother was home with us for while we were kind of in the formative years or whatever you want to call it. She went back to teaching afterwards. She loved teaching before, and she taught. Ended up having. It's fantastic. She had an entire second career after raising myself and my sister. She went back and she taught for, I think, close to 20 years. Mm-hmm. You have a sister is older or younger? Uh, three years younger. Three years younger. So and you're the older brother. I'm the older brother. And uh, and my dad was on Wall Street for 40 or so years, worked in Manhattan. And really, um, I was completely fascinated with everything he did growing up. I wanted to, I, it was the 80s. Oh, I, wanted, I wanted to be on Wall Wolf Street. Of Wall Street. Was he a trader? He was actually something that I don't think exists anymore. He was both a broker. Well, brokers in yeah, themselves brokers don't exist. He was a broker, but he came at it. He was an, he was a, an analyst. He was a research oh. analyst. So I don't think those two jobs would ever be together anymore. But yeah, what no. he discovered was, you know, he came at it. He was an analytical person. He was originally a CPA, got into Wall Street became, you know, did a really great job with his research and just realized over time that he could do better in in picking stocks from yeah. do, doing the research, picking the stocks, and then people started following him. So he became a broker. So he really had kind so of like a hybrid job. So he could be like a job. hedge fund guy. Yeah. I mean, in today's world. And so did he specialize in a certain sector? Uh, he started in in oil and gas, but he he played everything. In fact, I still remember. It's funny the things that stick with you. I remember a bunch of the stocks that he played and I was interested in played um Tops Chewing Gum, the baseball card company, and I, I had been into baseball cards. And when so I was a teenager, yeah, double down on this he, one. he went, he was him, and he just, you know, I watched that stock, you know, double and then double again. And you don't think of it that way, but, yeah. um, you know, if you remember when Tofuti first came out, the company I remember was Tofu Time, and he was in on that pre public. Yeah. writing that and that thing went crazy yeah um, so i was fascinated by that stuff early did you on. think you were going to go I the was, wall street route i was certain i was going to go the wall street route and this is why i always talk to young people about not being so certain because you never I, know you never know i yeah. got into college and i and so bryant university what i don't even know that yeah, school. smithfield what? rhode island it was bryant college when i went there um now it's bryant university very fancy How, is um, it a small it's school a, it's small yeah it's 3200 students um, it was completely focused on business. And as I just mentioned, I was this, I know what I want. I'm going to go Wall Street, whatever. I was a finance major. And in, it was one of the best breaks I ever got in my life because what ended up happening at Bryant was I ended up starting a bunch of small companies and ended up, I mean, for me, that that kind of turning point for me in career was oddly enough in college where I just gained a lot of confidence and started a bunch of businesses, also realized through that, that I really liked the managing people aspect and the getting things done through people and completely turned off Wall Street. And what never, are these companies that you started it was in all college? Student, it was all student-run stuff. I mean, it was like the- Like illegal? Sort of students. No, 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 no. It wasn't anything that clever. No, it was, um, it's a complicated, but there was a separate company that operated on the campus. Um, and I basically- got involved in that and then was running that and then started a bunch of new businesses and published the school directory. We actually ran the student, we actually ran the school bar, if you could believe it. We opened a retail store. We opened a travel agency. I'm old. What? Um, yeah, we opened a travel agency. We took over the Were vending these things contract. profitable, like yeah. money-making things? Yeah. So what did you do with that money? Um, no, no. So this, it wasn't that kind of profitable. It but, was, but it was, but, but it you was, made some money? Um, we made some money, yeah. It was so just, you hired your friends? Um, yeah, there was, I mean, it was about a hundred employees throughout the school and it was, it was a literally, great, yeah, it was a great experience. It was, um, what? but it, it really did flip me from that thought of like, I want to be like a wall street guy to like, no, I want to work with 
people and that's not what what, it completely and it was quick it was like i realized from doing that i realized all the things that were firing me up would not be in that world that i had so coveted yes and like i still loved you know, watching my dad do it, and I still mm-hmm. was always interested, but I had no interest in it. As Did a career. you work in high school, or more just focus on school and tennis? Um, yeah, and I mean tennis. You're giving me too much credit. I know you were you were a superstar what? at that age. I, I was a. I played high school tennis. I I was the captain of my tennis team my senior year, but it was a pretty mediocre team, and I was a pretty mediocre player. <laughs> so, so growing up, would your friends have been in this room sitting here and like, duh, obviously. Ian's going to be the entrepreneur. Were you cool kid, nerdy kid, band Um, kid? I was not the cool kid. I wasn't, I would say I was closer to the nerdy kid than the cool kid, but I was definitely somewhere. I know it sounds like a lame answer. I was definitely somewhere in between. I wasn't, I was, I was neither, you know, pushing people downstairs nor getting pushed down the stairs. Yeah. Um, But, um, but you were studious. I I was okay. I wasn't a great student, as you just pointed out. I I went to Bryant University. Honestly, I just don't even know. I didn't research it. It's a good school, but it's not, you know, it's not. Yeah, but then you went to HBS, let's be honest. Then I went to HBS, but I will tell you to answer your question of just like, what did people expect you to be here? I can remember my fifth or tenth year high school reunion. You you come back and you're seeing people for the first time and. And everyone's like, "What are you doing now?" I was like, "Um, I guess it was fifth year because I'm like, um, I'm at uh, business school. Oh, where Harvard Business School?" And the the looks, I mean, you know, everyone's trying to be polite. It's not like I was a bad student, but there was just it was so much fun because everyone was just had this moment of freezing up. Oh, like, oh, that sounds great, you know, like. Yeah. But clearly, that was they didn't see Ivy. It wasn't an obvious. It wasn't obvious. And again, I was a good student, but not that. So after you graduated from Bryant. Um, why didn't you just kind of propel your business thing? Why did you need an, an MBA? I didn't go straight for an MBA. I actually, I still needed a job. I mean, this was like student-run stuff. This was not a future in that way. Uh, but I don't know what I was doing coming out of it. Like, I was looking for a job because everyone looked for a job. And at Bryant, a lot of people went into, like, insurance and banking and things like that, very business-oriented. New England, it was in New England. You know, it's in Rhode Island, very New England. And I got recruited to do a management training program of all places, Aetna. Um, so not exactly the world I ended up in. And I, I got some great experience there. Um, and then I caught another terrific break, which was I was doing great in this job. Um, I had gotten a performance review. This is something I get talked to kids about a lot. I got a performance review one night in a new job that I'd gotten, which was a big promotion. I'd only been there about a year and a half. I was in this job for about three months in my performance review because it was an annual thing for the school, for the company. And I got this fantastic review and I went home just, ha, I got this promotion. And now my boss says I'm like in the top few percent of the company and aren't I great. And the next morning I walked in and was told that my division had been eliminated and I had no job. Um, and it was the best, <laughs> best thing that ever happened to me in my life because I was on a path, right? I was like moving up and on a path yeah. and it wasn't the path I intended. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. You could be like Ian Morris, and, and, general manager of the blank and, division and, of well, Aetna. And, and what a great life lesson to, to learn at such a young age that like here I was in this world and I was doing well. And I learned that like here, you know, someone's telling you, you are great. You're doing so terrific in this role. And then the next day you're fired. And the obvious lesson was... Should, don't you want to be in a world where you're in control rather than other people are in control? How can you be, 
you know, both at the same time doing this, you know, you're doing great. And by the way, your boss who just told you this is eliminated and the whole little mini division you're in was eliminated. And that's when I started looking at business schools. Yeah. Um, and to get back on that entrepreneurial path. Was it like a stretch for you to get into HBS? And how did you go about it? Um, I think it was, I mean, I, I think with with any of these schools, I think you're, it's a, it's a crapshoot. I, I applied to one. I applied to HBS. Um, I wanted to go to HBS. I didn't expect to get in. I didn't. So the job... Job was eliminated. I was picked up like a week later. So I was never out of work. Um, I was picked up at it like a week later in another job that worked out great. So I wasn't, I didn't have a gun to my head about business yeah. school. I had never done well on the SATs and things like that. Didn't want to take the GMATs. HBS didn't require the GMATs. I, just, I made a decision. Hey, I like my job. I'm good with this job. I'm going to, I don't want to take one of those crazy Kaplan classes because I'll Right, like if it. I get in, I'll go. Uh, if I'll, not, If I get deal. in, I'll, and if I don't, I'll apply to seven or eight top schools next year and I'll get into one of those. Yeah. Um, but I thought, wouldn't it be great to just focus on, like, do a great job yeah. on this application and see if I get in? So tell me about the application. Like, how did you get in? Um, at the time, at least, I don't can't speak to today, they did, H HBS did not look at GMATs. They valued the experience. As I mentioned in college, I had some really cool, so they distinctive experiences. And there was, I think it was like nine or 10 essays. And that, I spent, I went out one, I planned it out. I, I had the questions printed out. I had post-it notes and I had... Um, I went out with some friends, had two beers, and then locked myself, like, you know, I kind of like just the right amount to get just the creative three, three and just spent in. a weekend kind of putting note, you know, here are the stories I have to tell. I felt like I had a lot of good ones between college and the job for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and I just mapped them out, and I spent no time. I didn't take a Kaplan class or any of those things. I spent that time on the application. Digging deep into, like, what, what was compelling. Yeah. Do you feel like today they want to hear ways that you've overcome obstacles? To get into schools, I keep hearing those types of stories. I, I of like, think, you have to have been through something. Did you have anything to talk about that was like... You know, I didn't grow up in a fancy household or anything, but I think I was pretty fortunate, a very stable house, so I don't think I had any massive stories. They do definitely want to hear. I mean, we both have you know, kids, and uh, it, it, it's... They do want to hear those stories, but I also think the world has gotten much worse as far as the tests oh, and, yeah. and all that. It's like which, none of us would get into any of these schools I, I, That's now. how I feel. I mean, I don't think no, I hundred percent. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And so have you been able to um, stay in touch with your high school and college friends? Um, college, high school friends, you know, there's a couple of the close ones that I'm in. You know, the, the yeah. in touch, the texts on the birthday yeah. and the, but I wouldn't say I'm close. Um Few, you know, few from college, few from business school. Being in Seattle, you know, doesn't help. I do yeah. make an effort. I always go to the HBS reunions because I feel like that was so much a part of what you bought and what you enjoyed and going to HBS. And I think like, you know, people don't pass through Seattle every day. Yeah. So it's not like people are constantly popping in. Yeah. So that's one way I kind of always stay at least a little connected is go mm -hmm. to those reunions and just reconnect with people and have yeah. a good time. Tell Are stories. relationships outside of your wife and your children and your kind of business associates important to you, like your yeah, friendships? Ex extremely. But and so how do you go about nurturing them? I mean, and I don't think I'm great at it, frankly. It's something my wife and I talk about all the time is like the list of people, oh, we got to get together with them. should really be seeing them. Yes. Yeah. And, and we have a long, it's one of those to-do lists that grows every week and yeah. never comes down. Yeah. I don't know if you've experienced this, but when they talk about the Seattle freeze, they're not talking about people not being kind. They're mm -hmm. just saying they're really warm, but then actually executing on like seeing each other in yeah. the follow through. And in New York, that that's not really the case. It's more like if there's someone saying, let's get together, it happens. Yeah. You're like, great, We've, let's get out our calendar, let's make it happen. It is confused. It is confused. I mean, I've been out here 
almost 24 years now, and it's still a little confusing. Yeah. Um, Who actually wants to hang? And sometimes it just happens organically, though, like who's in front of you from tennis or from the kids or running into someone. I think the contrast with the New York area has always been interesting to me. The way I think of it is back east, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. People look at you. You could almost go to hold the door open for someone, and they'll look at you like, what's your angle kind of thing. That would never happen here. People are much friendlier here in that very superficial way. But in New York, if you're in the circle, people will stand in front of a bullet for you. So it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting yeah. dynamic. It's way yeah. nicer to raise kids, I think, frankly, out here because people are they start off genuinely supportive. Where in New York, you can end up getting attitude from some stranger, and you're like, Yeah, I didn't do any. I don't know what happened to you today, but it yeah. didn't come from me. Yeah, yeah. So what brought you to Seattle? Was it your Microsoft role? It was Microsoft, so I had a business school. Um, I've, <clears throat> while I was in HBS, I got the internet bug like crazy. It was a little early for it. It was I was there 93 to 95, and it just struck me as this is the railroad of the future. I had no tech experience. Um, <clears throat> I got an interview with Microsoft, which frankly didn't interest me that much Microsoft overall. It sounds horrible to say, but I didn't want to go work on Microsoft Word or something. Um, and I had no interest <laughs> in not? Seattle. Um, but I got, I was focused on, you know, the internet, starting my own business, potentially right out of business school. And I got the opportunity to work on the launch of MSN. And I thought, and I had a business idea that I was pursuing on my own. And I just, and maybe someone could argue I'm, I'm too calculated and maybe this was risk averse, but I think it was the right decision was I just decided I really had no tech experience. I really didn't know what, what I was doing. Learn. And I just thought my, some Microsoft's going to pay me to get in on the ground floor of something I believe will fundamentally change everything for decades to come. I should do that. Now, I was unrealistic in that I told my folks and Lisa's folks and, you know, that we're you know, this is a year or two max, and then I can go anywhere I want and blah, 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 blah. And of course, that was 24 years ago. So that was... Um, That's the case for everything, everything now, right? Yeah. So when did you meet Lisa? I met Lisa. Um, I met her originally. We didn't meet in college, but we were kind of both in college. She went to Syracuse. Um, we kind of, It was one of those just random meetings where it had not, it was nothing planned. She, there was my... Aunt knew taught with her mom. Was it like so one we of those same... like setups? Oh God, no, no, no! It was not. A, it was not a setup. But so this, you'll get a kick out of this. It was not a setup. We just happened to randomly meet, and I asked her out. She later told me because of this random connection, she was at my aunt's wedding, and I asked her to dance originally when we were like fifteen or sixteen or something. Oh. So it was a little one of those Harry Met Sally type things where like oh. I tell the story one way and then she points out like, Yeah, but you know, four years earlier you <laughs> Yeah. So you came out here, you did Microsoft MSN for seven years. How would you have described your experience there as far as um the culture and what you learned? So I think it was a very different culture then. I was incredibly impressed with just the sheer intelligence of the people. That sounds silly, but it's like they were I think Microsoft's greatest strength was who they were recruiting. <clears throat> I thought the then I so I appreciated that because I felt like I was working out every day just to hang in there with other re, just really bright people. And most people I'd look at and go, "They're much smarter than me," but I can hang in there. Um, the downside of that was they were all unlike today. They were all new. They were all right out of school or right out of business school. And despite the fact that everyone was so smart. The culture, I mean, most people just assumed everyone around them was stupid or at least behaved that way. So there was a lot of 
attitude and aggressiveness that wasn't productive. There were some mm-hmm. great things that came out of it. Um, and we built some amazing things. And I say, we, I played my little role, but the, the company did fantastic. And it did because it had great people. But when I ended up, I ran a group there um, and, you know, I purposely set out to create a totally different culture. And I, and I think I succeeded at it of just like recruiting only certain people to that group um, because I didn't see the need to be, you could oh, get the, the same stuff. Yeah, the bravado, yeah. the flame males, as they're called, they were completely counterproductive. So you, you could get great people and have them play nice together for the most part. It wasn't, mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like a softy because I'm, no, I'm no, an aggressive person, but it, you just don't need that extra, well, that extra, the, it's attacking, just a distraction. Attack the outside. Don't yeah. attack the inside. Yeah, we're, we're actually on the same team. <laughs> exactly. We have the same goal. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And so, you know, I know you got recruited to do market leader that's right out of um, our house values. Was that right out of Microsoft? Yeah. So I was the group that I ended up running at Microsoft it was, you know, this is back in the day. I'm dating myself again, but, um, you know, Microsoft had started up or, Groups had started in Microsoft, very incubator-oriented, that became like Expedia and Investor and CarPoint. And a few of us created what became known as Microsoft Home Advisor, which has nothing to do with the Home Advisor that you see today. The the name has been sold over the years. But um, it was one of the original real estate portals back in 97, 98. So I was... I had no particular interest in real estate, but I was suddenly found myself, you know, speaking at major real estate conferences because not because they wanted Ian Morris. They could care less about me. They wanted to know what this evil empire Microsoft was going to do to their commissions. Um, And so I found myself knowing nothing about real estate and keynoting, you know, national conferences um, and then house value. You're being humble, but okay. No, they they didn't know anything about me and I didn't know anything truly. I mean, I was a technology (laughs) person who was interested but I wasn't particularly interested in the space. And they really did just want to get at, like, what is Microsoft going to do to me? Because, you know, you have to transport yourself back to it was a different time. Right around the time DOJ was getting interested in Microsoft. I mean, everyone was petrified of us. Um, just, I mean, Microsoft was the tech company, it's right? like Amazon um, today. Plus, right? I mean, it was yeah. almost like Amazon and Google and Facebook melded together. I mean, oh, wow. you know, the government didn't get on their case for for nothing. It was a dominant, dominant company. And so an industry like real estate, which was still kind of a local-ish yeah. business, they felt that this was the thing that was going to come and come, come and get them. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, so I, to answer your question, I got, I got recruited. There was a company called House Values that had been started by a local real estate agent, and it was doing well. It was doing lead generation in the real estate industry, and it was outgrowing the founder and the founder felt like it was it was probably to be successful was going to outgrow him and mm-hmm. um second avenue partners here locally were interested and they they recruited me to come in and uh, kind of as number two and probably become the number one and mm-hmm. that's that's what happened and did they seed the whole company to begin with or he did this this real um, estate guy the real estate agent kind of put in his own money yeah i don't think he had that much of it so he got some angel money yeah. and then second avenue partners um which was just Business never would have been successful without them. I mean, it's yeah. worth. I mean, this is Pete Higgins and Nick Hanauer were involved from the beginning, and they uh, mark the the original founder. I think he got turned down, you know, hundred, hundred and fifty times before Second Avenue came in. So this was not yeah. an obvious thing. Yeah. Um, and when you took over um, as CEO, where was the company, and where did it ultimately end up? Company was um, it was getting to about twenty million in revenue, so it wasn't tiny. Um, it was one very, very basic business model, though. So it's a very simple 
business. And with my impeccable timing, it had grown, you know, every month, 23 was growing like crazy. The month I joined was the first flat month. What was the business model at the um, time? It was, if you you may even remember it when I say it, but House Values was a lead generation site. And you would say, like, if you, you know, thinking of selling your home, find out what it's worth. Go to housevalues.com. So like Zestimate Like now. Zestimate. This was years like before years before yeah. the Zestimate. And um, we, ran t- we did TV advertising. They were not on the internet. So it was an internet company, as it was called, that had no idea what to do with the internet. But we did use it to send the leads to real estate agents. And it was a limited model, but it had done very well. And I came in and the business was flat. But I came in with a kind of vision of what thought it could be. And it took a little while to get there, but we we ended up... Um, you know, I had to do an acquisition to get me one piece that was missing that I didn't think we could build. Which was um, that? It was the relationships with the multiple listing services. Oh. I had a very specific, I don't want to bore you with but a very specific um, business model that I thought they could move naturally from what they were doing to this. And once we did that after being flat for, I don't know, for at 20-ish million for a year, year and a half, we went from 20 to 100 in like 22 months or something like that. Oh, my gosh. And so, so that your was instincts when the IPO, served you well. Yeah, I mean, it was a rare situation where I'm wrong way more than I'm right. That was a that was a rare situation where the yeah. plan that I drew up when I sat with Nick and Pete the first time and talked about what I thought we could do. Yes. It took longer than I expected. But and were actually, they on the board? They were, yeah, they were on the board. So, and they stayed on the board right through the IPO, the sale. Yeah. Who um, took the company public? Um, I, I took the, by then, the, the founder wasn't really involved. I took the company public. And, and which bank did you use? Um, we had CSFB. We had JP Morgan. We had Thomas Weisel. We had a, we had a big, yeah. the, the IPO market had been closed for a few years because it was, this was during the tech downturn. And when we started taking off, most people had never heard of us, but there is clearly some little, the bankers, I know it's their job to find these things, but bankers just started showing up at the doorstep. We could have really gone public with just about anybody. Yeah. Um, they were knocking. They were, I mean, it, it was fascinating learning to see how aggressive those guys were. They wanted they wanted house values to oh, be yeah. one of the first companies and Google came out. And what out. year was that? This was 04. 04. Go- and, then, and then it was, sorry, Google. Google came out in, August, I think it was August of 04. And that kind of unofficially reopened the IPO. Nothing had gone public. Google came out, was a huge success. We were going through the roof and so the bankers started knocking we went public in december of 04 Mm -hmm. and so that was it was a great experience was it different for you being the ceo of a publicly traded company and how did your life change um people ask a lot about that and it was a tough time to do it because this was post enron and post all those blow-ups so there was a lot of new regulation and people like oh god must have ruined your life i there was i didn't mind it that much um there was definitely annoyances of it, but it wasn't, you know, the hard part was, you know, when things were great, that was great. When the real estate downturn hit and we were in big trouble, um, you know, it's a little bit like being in the public square taking a shower. Yeah. You're, you're public. You can't hide anything. Yeah. Um, and so there's a discipline of that and there's a pain of that. And it's, and it's not just out to the markets, but because you have to file all these things, you know, if you your pay packages are public and if someone goes on sabbatical and all these little nuanced things your other empl- your employees see these things so it does require a level of discipline and forethought for sure, for um, sure. but i i don't i i i'm not one of these people who goes oh don't ever go public i mean yeah I, it was it was manageable and there were some good people and some not so yeah. good people involved. and so you're a publicly traded company now you've got probably tons of employees at this we point got, you're a hundred and something million dollar company yeah we were probably right out 600 we got to a 
about 600 employees and yeah. a little over 100 million in revenue. And then in 2013, sold to Trulia. Yeah, although in between was the tough part. That was the defining moments. Everything was, when we took the company public, we, we were the fourth fastest growing technology company in North America over a five-year period. Google was one and they were beat us by a lot. Um, but, and you know what, the great life lesson there was like headhunters, you know, executive recruiters, they were calling all the time. Like, got this pre-public company, you're the guy, blah, 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 blah. When the real estate market cratered, we were completely exposed. I did not do a good job of preparing us for that. I guess in fairness, I don't think anybody thought it would ever get as deep as it did. But regardless, shame on me. We were not prepared for it. We got ransacked. Um, and the one good thing we did was, again, I had a great board and we made a decision to, you know, not defend the top line, not try to prove that we're this great growing business and instead take this very profitable company with a pile of cash and live to fight another day. So we had to take the company down in size dramatically, went from a peak of close to 600 employees to a trough of about 140. It's horrible. A lot of Ambien for me. I can't speak for everybody else. It was a miserable period. I'm glad I've good, great wife, great family. That was good because I was not a happy camper and I felt like it was my mess. I wasn't going anywhere. And um, and it was it was five years of challenges and, and no one took us seriously. We were completely, you know, the markets paid no attention. They didn't want to invest in real estate anyway. And, you know, I probably went five years. I didn't get a single call from a recruiter because we live in a society where there's heroes and goats. And I had been a hero. I was a genius and which I never believed, thank goodness. And then I was a moron, which thank goodness I didn't really believe either. Um, but we did have a plan and it took far longer to pay off than we thought. But the business started growing like mad again. Um, and everything was working. And then the real estate market turned around. So we got a nice tailwind in addition to a business that was already starting to really play. I had built a good base with Wall Street. They had started paying attention and started to believe. And so the stock was taking off. But I had already lived through the pain of cyclicality. And I knew what it meant now as a slightly older, more experienced person. And Trulia, um, we, we had talked about some different relationships with Trulia. Trulia and Zillow were battling it out to kind of own the consumer side of, of real estate. We owned the back office side, the CRM and the websites and all the things the realtors used to run their business. So we were a natural fit with either one of those and Trulia stepped up and paid an, a very nice price. It was a great outcome for, for our shareholders and our mm -hmm. employees, which I was most proud of. And um, later Zillow brought Trulia and really worked out pretty well for everybody. Oh, yeah. It sounds like a win-win-win. So, yeah, $355 million in 2013. And so um, I remember when I ran into you and talked to you several years later, maybe, maybe it was a couple of years later, so 2016 or 17, and was thinking maybe you'd just be on the pro leisure tour kind of playing tennis. And I know you were on a few boards and um, involved and engaged. Obviously, you've got kids. But what made you come back to work and start working at Likewise and take yeah. that opportunity? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't very intentional. And I will say uh, my wife, Lisa, who I try to listen to because she's usually right, um, was like in we're doing you're, this you're again. Happy. Like, yes. you, you, trust me, I know you. You're, Wait, we you're threw happy. out the Ambien. Yeah, exactly. I was long off the Ambien. Um, and um, I was really, I really enjoyed the board work. And I was on a bunch of boards at this point. I just liked advising CEOs. All tech type um, of companies? All, all or tech, mostly uh, software as Any a nonprofits? Um, not boards, no. Lisa does a few of those. And we're 
active, but I'm not usually. I don't know that I do too well in a. You'd be like, hurry my, up! I've, I've joined. Yeah, I've joined a couple, um, and it, I would yeah. come home angry, and I don't feel like at yeah. that point I'd rather That's be supportive financially. Yeah. And Lisa does a better job with those. I get a little crazy. But so I was enjoying the boards, and I mean, truthfully, I wouldn't have gotten back in. This the situation was special enough where, you know, this idea germinated in uh, in Bill Gates' private office. Larry Cohen, who's the head of Gates Ventures, Michael Dix, who's a good friend of his and runs Intentional Futures, and I are friends. We're talking, you know, Larry had originally kind of dreamt this up. What was the exact idea at the time? It was about um, solving the simple problem. I shouldn't say simple problem, but the problem of recommendations. And if you think about the world and we, you know, I say recommendations and people immediately think of rating review sites. They think of things like Yelp and yeah, Or thinking of just like IMDb. why you even are on Facebook anymore is because you just want to find that one post that somebody said, you know, great book going on a trip. And then right. you're like, oh, where did that post go? Right. Like that's Ex- why I used exactly. Facebook for the last few years. And the Facebook example is the one is closer, except for the part about finding the post on stuff, is closer to what reality is than all of the rating review sites that people think of. What we found was people, you know, they use services like I don't want to pick on anyone, like Yelp's triple IMDBs, because it's better than nothing, right? You have this rating. But in the end, what the heck does a four-star lasagna taste like? Yeah. I don't know what that means. So the idea for Likewise was let's start with the way people do this in real life, which is social recommendations. They ask their friends. Friend-based yeah. recommendations. And we started with some guiding principles as well. The site, the Likewise, the app, this website has – there's no negative reviews. Like if you're passionate about something, whether it's a movie or a show or a book, whatever, recommend it. Yeah. If you don't. I don't, don't want to hear your rants. I, yes. I've never once called a friend and said, I'm going to be in Chicago next week. Tell me some places Tell to avoid. Tell me what not to read or I mean, what not to eat. We're not to eat. That negative yeah. energy is really in consumer psyche. It's not just, I'm sure you feel it, I feel it. And when we did Ugh. research, yes. we found people are like, Over I don't want to hear these people yelling about, you know, the waiter. Right? We get, If you want to feel that way, you turn on the news. Yes. Right? Um, so likewise really is focused on how do we let people share the things they're passionate about with people they care about and of course how do we let them learn about those mm-hmm. things so it's a kind of interesting combination of you know machine learning to when you first join and if your friends aren't on there how do we help you find movies tv shows books podcasts things like that based on you tell us some things you like but the idea then is get your friends on and you'll see what your friends who you care about what they're reading are reading and you see what they're liking and people really love it for things like streaming services like Netflix and Prime and Hulu. That's where we've really seen it take off. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So is there anything that you would do differently if you were starting Likewise today? What have you learned so far? Because it's been now two and a half years? Yeah, two yeah, two years. I mean, depending on where you draw the yeah. starting line. It's been about two years since we were official, but we're probably working on it before that. Um yeah, I think I think we 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 bet too heavily on the social piece and not enough on the machine learning at first. What we we knew it would be hard to start with a cold start, but we were so passionate and people respond so passionately to the idea of I want recommendations for my friends that we built the app originally on that premise. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that's a really really hard thing to do because you're starting with a cold start and what we found much more success in doing is bring someone in, have them, rec- you know, put in front of them, as you've seen in a lot of a lot of things, particularly with media type things like TV and so on, 
tell me five or 10 things that you've liked. We'll put things in front of you. I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. And then we'll start recommending a few things that you may not have heard of that are new to Netflix or on Hulu or whatever. And then from there, transitioning to, you know, this gets even better if your friends are on and people get that. They want, they want the people in the mom group on. They want their college buddies on. So we've really... I would I would start with these what what we call single player mode kind of that very much machine driven recommendations and then focus on moving people down. I think we lost some time by starting with this very ambitious goal of like come see what your friends are. I mean it's, mm-hmm. they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. So what's the business model? How do you make money? Money? We're supposed to make money? Yes. Um, eventually. We eventually we will make money. Um it I will tell you one of the things from the beginning of this was we knew how hard this was going to be. There is nobody working on business model today. Um, if there is, it's me, and I'm I'm not. I mean, and and that was set out amongst the founders from the beginning. Like we need to raise capital, we need to build a user base. Mm-hmm. If we build an engaged user base, there will be other people who really want to invest in Likewise. And the first thing they're going to say is, "Don't worry about monetization. Go get catch fire, build a bigger user base." And my attitude from the beginning was that was you know if we were really successful. And if we didn't build a user base and catch fire and get engaged users, the fact that we had built some ad model was going to be the difference between having no cash and having like four days of cash. So why, you know, as someone who's been, it's hard running a company. It's hard getting people focused. Mm -hmm. Why introduce the person into the room who's going to be saying like, you know, no, you need to reserve that part of the screen. I mean, the reality is we're in the middle of a decision, the there is so many natural ways to monetize this. So many people who want their show, their movie, their restaurant marketed that it's, and, and, you know, we're not, we don't have to invent anything there. You've seen, you know, the advertising models of a Facebook and Instagram and the more referral type based things of, you know, ad bottles of uh, Yelp and TripAdvisor. So there's well-worn paths that we'll want to have our own take on and mm-hmm. probably be more positive than some of those. But we don't need to solve them up front. We will eventually have to solve them. It is not a nonprofit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's not the biggest problem we face. The biggest problem we face is going to be getting Customer millions and millions of very engaged users. I mean, yeah. you can you can get users on the service. But how do you but get them? To how engage? do you get them engaged? How do you build daily? Well, habits? that's got to be the interface and just the the ease of using it. And and that seems like it's changing constantly. Yeah, because I mean, I've been always... on from the very beginning, and it seems like you're constantly looking at that. Yeah, we're, which we're is getting great. we're getting more and more focused. We've seen real dramatic uptake with movies, TV shows, books, and podcasts over some of the more local-based things of, you know, people like talking about restaurants and so on, but it's a... It's a, pe- it's a different category, It's though. a little bit of a different category. You still want the friend-based recommendations. There is mass frustration over how do I figure out what to watch. I have a limited amount of time. I want to figure out what my next binge thing is going to be. Um, I don't know what's on my service. But Netflix is doing that. They're like, you liked these five things. You should watch ah. these five things. How many pro- how many shows on Hulu has Netflix recommended to you? Yeah, that's the problem. And by the way, how many... Or um, Amazon Prime. And, and, or, yeah. and or Amazon by, Video. And by the way, how good of a job is Netflix going to do if, you, if it doesn't know what you liked on Prime yeah. and Hulu? Oh, and by the way, you can see I have some passion around this. Um, in the next three months, Apple launches their premium streaming service. Disney launches their premium service. Right. A few we months, need to aggregate all of it. A few months later, Warner Brothers is launching HBO Max. NBC Universal is launching. Viacom and CBS just merged. Okay, so Consu- all my friends, please get on Likewise <laughs> because I need efficiency. You, you are going to need it because 
that what this world of a Netflix dominated world, mm-hmm. it's it's done. And that's not to say Netflix isn't going to do well, but basically every consumer who's interested in television right now is their own cable company mm-hmm. assembling their own package. It hasn't seemed that way yet because there's only a few big players, but there's over 300 streaming services and the big guys are just about to pile in. Yeah, I and like you, the way that you put that when you're like, hey, we are our own. We're our own. Yeah. Cable. And we don't want, nobody really... wants to be that. Yes. Now picture having one place you can go to recommend something and one place that is rec- making recommendations to you as well as when you and I are talking and you tell me a show I should be watching, uh, I don't have the memory of a 22-year-old, I just click, I enter into likewise one place for everything, it's movies, like books, like TV your shows. You're just yes. like tagging it. Yes, and it doesn't care that I, what, it, it knows I have Hulu and I have Netflix and so on. I don't, What good is a watch list if I have nine of them? Yeah. Oh, no, right. that's so totally, likewise that totally is the sense. watch list. I like that. I like that. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> I'm getting really excited to go home and watch TV. Um, okay, so you got funded by Bill Gates and just Bill Gates? Um, today it is it is Gates Frontiers, which is which is Bill Gates. And how much money arm. did he put in? Um, that or we they? haven't we we haven't that is not something we've disclosed publicly. Come on, Ian. it's one of the good things of not Come having to run a public on, company. Ian. You don't have to share everything. Um, um, but it um, it's enough that you're not panicking. No, I'm not panicking. You've got we, some we time to, to build this. Yeah, we need to be successful. I mean, they are, it is it is a for profit venture. They are in this <clears throat> for money, but it's also something that there's some passion around. Yeah. I mean, for perspective. Gates Notes, which publishes yes. Bill's book picks. Now, he's mm-hmm. Bill Gates, in fairness, but 90 million people follow it. Yeah. People care what other people think. Yes. Um, they're looking for a way to cut through the clutter. And so they get this. And, and by the How way- How many followers does he have on Likewise? Oh, I, I'd have to look. I'm sorry. Oh, God. I'm going to look um, when It's we, some thousands, we, uh, but it's not. I mean- it's, it's not 90 million. No, we're not. We haven't gone out and gotten that aggressive yeah. customer acquisition. We have work to do as far as- the, the engagement is more important than the acquisition, right? How do you engage them? How do you build daily habits yes. and retain people? Yes. Um, so that's that's a lot of focus. But there do is... you ever do targeted ads on Facebook? Of course. <laughs> I mean, I so how have you gone about... Well, first of all, you've done this. Now this is B2C, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. How would you compare it to B2B? Um, Which do you prefer? Where's your lane? I mean, I think the... I, I wouldn't... It's hard to say because it's not that I, I would I would say that I was more at home in B2B, but it wasn't because it was B2B versus B2C. You know, when I was running House Values Market Leader, those were we built a very established business model. And I my passion is more around, frankly, the business side, the side I just told you I'm not letting anyone think about um, and how you innovate on the business model than it is about what pixels sit where. So likewise, it's still at a stage where I love what I'm doing, but I look forward to it being something that is more about, you know, the business mechanics. And we're not there yet. Um, but I do love the B2C side. I will tell you, it's it's exciting. It's got to be more fun at a cocktail it's, party. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot easier to recruit. Um, well, it's yeah, sexier. It's much sexier. We've never had any candidates not want to interview that we've run past and thank you for the opportunity to partner with you. So. You found us some very good people. And oh, it is, well, and it's, I mean, and when you're starting out from scratch, I mean, zero to one, mm-hmm. Those it's the count. only thing that matters. Oh, yeah. So how have matters. you been deliberate about building a culture? I know that you're passionate about it. I mean, that's the best part about being CEO is you pick the people you want to work with. I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing that competes with that. And this was a chance to truly go zero to one. I was yes, employee you one. you get to be. Um, and I was fortunate to find a great CTO, and he built out the engineering team. But from the beginning, <clears throat> I know diversity is a 
is a buzzword, but I am passionate, particularly gender, um, because I mean, you could say, oh, I have two daughters, but truthfully, I saw how much it mattered running market leader those years, having, you know, women in positions like my CFO and kind of right hand was a woman for years and years, head of marketing, head of HR, and people behave differently. And more importantly, in some ways, I don't mean behave better. I mean, well, it's just diversity of thought. It's too. diversity of thought. And, yeah. and when you start from scratch, like we have it likewise, and you intentionally recruit some women right off the bat into leadership yes. positions, it is so much easier. People come in, we're not going to pay more than ever. I'm sure we're going to lose out on a lot. We're a startup. We're going to pay a competitive wage, mm-hmm. but I expect good people are going to be able to go out and get more if they really want it. Yes. But you bring women in for those other jobs and they look in, they come through that office to interview and they look around and two thirds of the people there are women, you're going to win most of the time because they see that. And age is similar. Um, We have boomers, we have Z, and we have everything in between. And it matters. They think differently. Who's Z? We're not Z, are we? Who are we? We're We're, X. We're X. We're not even close. We're closer to the boomers. I'm sorry. Oh, that's Um, right. I get confused. We're we're more... I get confused, too. And let's face it. It's a made-up term. Like, who decides what year is what? I just... In in my head, I'm 20. And I'm probably, like, 33. Yeah, I'm also... I'm two years out of college, right? That's how I think of myself. Um, But I can tell you, now that I'm higher, I have younger people than I had in the past, and I'm older, um, I... I just laugh in the back of my mind because while I feel like I'm one of them, I just always have this fear that when like, I walk into the see? room, they see some guy with a cane kind of <laughs> totally. struggling in and clearing his throat and just like, I, know. I, I think that is what they I see. told my team I wanted to take them to the Hall and Oates concert. <laughs> And they were like, who's that? And then they looked it up and one of my colleagues was like, oh, yeah, that my mom was into them. And I was like, oh, my God, in my mind, we're like contemporaries. Yes, I have that problem every day. Oh, my dad feels that way, too. Yeah. You know, So when are you most in your genius zone at work? Like what lane would you be in if you were hired gun, not as CEO? Would you be the marketer? product guy? Um, I came up via marketing, but it's really the strategy. This is why I like the board work, the strategy piece of just being able to step back and and the thing with strategy pieces, you don't get to, like, be the winner every day. You don't get to, like, you know, as a board member, you might add value twice in a year, but really important important ways. Um, so I, I'm most comfortable in strategies. You, you probably could see me getting excited when I started talking about the, the binge watchers and that as a target customer because I see the lane there mm-hmm. um, and it makes sense. And to me, that's more interesting than exactly how we execute the screens to make that happen. Yes. You need to get great people to do that. I wish I were natural. I mean, um, well, you can't I, be everything. Yeah, we are. I mean, so I, I like strategy and I like analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the guy, you know, I, I, one of my, I, I mentioned uh, CFO, another person, our head of sale, our head of sales and customer service at Market Leader, we worked together for years. He was the first person I recruited out of Microsoft um, where we had worked together. He said the most profound thing to me ever. At one point, he just looked at me and he's like, Ian, you do what and why and I'll do how. And that was the best thing yeah, anyone like ever an said to me. Moment. It was an aha moment. And once we kind of divided things that way, even though we'd worked together for years, things really started to take off. Yeah, you and were I, speaking the same language. Just... Yeah, and you know what? I was hurt at first because there were meetings going on that I had always been in the past and I wasn't invited to them. And then I noticed I was in a better mood when I went home at night. Yeah. And then I noticed the company was executing better. Yeah. He got you me out in of the way. way. Yeah, you weren't in the um, way. And it was, it was great. And it was surprising that it came from someone who I had worked with for a while, but he had gone away for a little while, come back, had the aha. And the confidence me... to say that to you. Yes. And, and, we... and you were... 
available to listen. Was, some some leaders are just like, screw you, I know it was, better. It was the best insight ever. I mean, That's what, awesome. what and why. That's awesome. <sighs> I want to pivot a little bit to kind of you personally. So I'm curious to know how you go about, I'm guessing you don't structure your day, or do you? Not, not a not lot. Not so much. Structure. No rituals, or do you have them? Tennis you said you listened to Dan Levitan. His was like, what? Did you, I mean, you heard that part. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, wow, yeah. he's inspiring. I, yeah, he had some really powerful structure stuff. I am not that person. I, I want to be. but I've thought about yeah. you know, people soar by meditation. I mean, my meditation is tennis in the morning. Mm -hmm. The one area I'm structured is. I'd like to play you I, at some point. I, I, I'm afraid. Are I'd you like a four or five? I'm a four or five, but you played, you played D1 college, right? Yes, but I'm old <laughs> and I have a bad back <laughs> and I'm whatever. I, I, are you kidding? Yeah, I'm fat. I'm, I'm I, I can't play yeah, anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, I would love to go out and play, though. But I, that that's the one very structure in my day is I try to keep every morning blocked. And there are exceptions. You know, you, mm -hmm. oh, I have a board meeting that day. I'm going to. But mm -hmm. I don't take just random meetings early in the morning so that I can get in the workout. And then I'm in a better mood. Then everybody likes me better. My family likes me better. And, yes. and you know, most days that's tennis. And that makes me happy. And how are you as a parent as far as what you learned from your parents and what you brought into your home? Wow, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, my parents were... They are just amazing. I mean, there was nothing I didn't. There's nothing I didn't get from my parents. Like, are you more like your mom or dad? I, I actually think I'm. I, it's like sounds like a cop out. I'm. I'm. Everyone would say I'm more like my dad um, because we have the same wit and just kind of mannerisms. the person manners and personalities. My mom, though, and and you know, I can't emulate my mom in that she's like my mom and you know, Lisa, my wife, are the two least selfish people I've ever met. It's very easy to go through life with people like that around you because your needs come first even when they don't deserve to. Um, so I'm lucky that way. But my mom just has a people sense and a pragmatism to her and just a caring that, you know, I always try to emulate. And, um, you know, she's just the type of person that... Uh, Every, takes care of everybody's needs. Yeah, and, just a nurturer. Yeah, I mean, my yeah. kids, Lisa, my kids just, you know, just adore her. And um, she knows I always laugh because she, we're on the phone or when she's out here, she asks questions about Lisa's friend's kids. Like and she'll ask. She'll, oh and my you're God, like, who? Hundreds of people. She asks me, like, and how's such and such? And did they, That's how nice their surgery quality. go? And I'm like, I don't even you're know. Like, who I just you're had dinner with them last like, night. I didn't know I she had surgery. Like, she knows the ages of kids it's it's fascinating and that's hysterical a skill. to me yeah it is that's a skill um, that's so. her being probably pretty present she's very present she she cares about the things she cares about and she knows them inside yeah. and out well i know that you and lisa have also sent your kids to um private school here mm -hmm. in seattle to jewish schools how have those kind of values um resonated for you so, like what does it mean to you to have that Jewish so values? that was wildly unplanned um which a lot of life tends to be that way um I'm from public schools my mom was a public school teacher Lisa's mom is a superintendent of schools in New York City her other sister's vice principal another one is like my brother educators all educators all public school we were originally you know going to send the kids to public school um our oldest daughter hannah was um was i don't know three or four and a friend of hers was doing like a preschool or something i don't even know like at jewish day school and she thrived so we went it's an they, amazing school. There. and it's a wonderful school and the values you mentioned i mean i'm not a religious I, i'm a cultural jew as you know some jewish people will call it um i'm not wrapped up in the religion piece of it nor would i have been you know if my 
kids came home one day and like, Daddy, why are you eating pork? That would have been a problem for me. <laughs> I'm happy. Like, because you like to eat pork. Well, yeah, and I just don't. It, it's not. That's not it, how you. I don't show place up. value there. I get it. Right. Like, I'm not judging someone that way. Like, I'm not judging someone for having that value. Lisa doesn't yes. eat pork. But to me, it doesn't make her a better person. Yeah, she is it. a better person, but it's not because she doesn't eat pork. Um, yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, so my kids, what they got was they got in an, an environment where they were challenged to think. And I, I was blown away by that at, at the Jewish day school. They, the teachers, I mean, they would do, I think they called it God talks. And they would bring in, they had Wiccans come in and ministers and all that different. I mean, literally a Wiccan came into to class, ministers, you know, um, all kinds of different religions. And the teachers, you know, first of all, I mean, it was it's a good school of mostly about math and English and science and, and all those things. Yeah. It's mostly academics. But but when they did do that stuff, they their opinion was, um, you know, Judaism is about questioning everything. Well, I don't know if that's true. Oh, it but is. It's just, you know, the analytical side of things. And the kids, so the kids got that. And they're not particularly, you know, they're different levels of religious, but it's not a religious school. Yes. Um, and we were very pleased with well, that. Well, we have friends that go there that just love it. So I was just curious if it's... Um... You know, how you came to that decision because you mentioned the public school thing. Yeah, no, the values are really that they got are the intellectual curiosity and questioning things. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think with any small school and JDS is a small school, you're you, in some ways you're signing up for a community of parents, right? Mm-hmm. Good kids go to that school. Good yes. parents have those good kids. Parents who value values and yes. who value education. Oh, for exactly. sure. Yeah. And so my um, last few questions, I can't really picture it because you seem intense. So I'm like, okay, so you're working, you're with the kids, you're playing tennis, but how do you relax slash kind of self-care? I mean, I, I think the workouts, the tennis, is a big part of that, honestly. I mean, that's I, your self-care. I, I, I like this time of year because I'll also Even when you're dropping your racket. Yeah, dropping. Just, and that's rare. I don't want to overstate dropping. that. That is, that is yeah. you know, oh, every... Oh, paddleboarding? I, I love to paddleboard. I'm down. Can I go? I to, yes. I, I love paddleboards are sitting at the okay. short club. We can go later. <laughs> done and done. Um, I'm serious. I, I really... Um, it's good for me, too, because I have very poor balance. And I just decided one day, like, I love water. I will be bad at this. Why don't I just do it a few yeah. times and see? And it's, it's great, as especially as we get older. It's oh, like it's great fantastic. to practice that balance. It's so, you can, you, you, can do it, you can do it with someone, or you can just be totally solitary yeah. and disappear for two yeah. hours. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's, That's fantastic. And so, my final question for you is, as you know, because you listened to a podcast before, is what fuels you? Um, this I mean, it's the epic. Pe- it's, I don't know if it's epic. I'm just it really is the people part. I mean, that. I mean, obviously, you want to win and all that. But I, I love the people part of things. I mean, I look back at my career to this day. The mo, the thing I took away most, the thing I'm most excited about was, as I mentioned, market leader. When things got bad, they got bad, and they stayed bad for a while. And we had to cut the company down in size. And there was still a good tech market here for employees and some people left and, you know, but my goal was to keep all the top players and couldn't keep all of them. Right. But we tried. Um, and there was no real good reason to go work at Market Leader. There was nothing great going on. It was a it was a slog. Right. And as CEO, you sell the vision, you sell the vision, you sell the vision, you try to keep the best people. And a lot of them stayed and some left and came back because we did turn it around. Yeah. And the best part of all that was. The good people who stayed, we had, we were fortunate. We had a good outcome. They did really well. That's awesome. And no one can take that away. Like, it's just, it was a great outcome. I'm still very close friends with a lot of those people. And, you know, they look back fondly. And we had a lot of people leave in hard times, come back later. It was a culture. And I'm proud of that more so than the business outcome. I guess I'm 
proud of that too, but it was the people aspect really, really matters. And it's something that is always close to me. And That's I'm glad awesome. those people did well because if I had been a friend of theirs knowing what little, uh, just a little bit about the situation, I probably would have told them to leave and go do something that isn't as hard. And the ones that stuck in there did really well. And I, I love that. That's awesome. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm totally rooting for you and Likewise. And anyone and everyone who's listening, download Likewise app, ASAP. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com. To provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.